you know, you have to admire his commitment to those bad jokes. Every single week, he is just... And the great thing is, like, they're not getting laughs at the escalator, but he brings them up here anyway. Let me just say something about Adam before I forget. If you were here last week, you saw Adam speak, and I just want to publicly thank him for getting up here and, and preaching. If you are new to this church, let me explain to you what we do here. Uh, we believe that over the course of a year, you need to hear from multiple communicators. We think it's very important for you to hear from different voices. And often what happens in a church is that you will hear from the same guy or the same woman every single week. And not, that's a problem. That's just not our thing. I mean, in high school and college, you have different teachers for a reason. Humans learn best from hearing from different people. And so over the course of the year, yeah, you'll hear primarily from me, but you'll hear from Adam a lot. You'll hear from Christina. She's better than all of us combined. And we just think it's just a great way to sort of broaden sort of your spiritual education. But if it's your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. And we are coming down to the end of this series that we're calling Now Boarding. And we got the idea from this series, from the idea that wherever we are in life, Kind of whatever is sort of going on, we're never truly settled. We're always sort of thinking about what's that next thing, whatever that may be. And the hope of this series is that it would help us learn sort of how to prepare for what's next, sort of how to prepare for what's coming down the line. Now, every single one of us has different nexts in our life. And in week one, we sort of put up a slide talking about the fact that your next might be a graduation or a wedding, or maybe you're getting ready to have a baby, or a second baby, or maybe it's you're getting ready to be an empty nester, that kind of a thing. But every single one of us has a different next that's coming down the line. And last week, Adam pointed out something really good. I liked it. He said, you know, we're all headed somewhere in life. We've all got this next thing that's coming down the line. Now, some of us know exactly what that next thing is, and some of us have no clue what's happening. You just may, may or not know what is happening at all. And he had a great analogy. He goes, look, I love air, airplanes, and we're sort of in the now boarding thing. And he said, when you think about an airplane, you get on an airplane specifically to bring you to somewhere new, to a next location, to a new destination, to a new adventure. And I was trying to think, all right, we're talking about travel here. What other analogies could we use for this series? And it dawned on me that we are in Fort Lauderdale, which is you know, ground zero for a huge travel industry. Obviously, we're talking about cruises here, okay? Cruises are so big in this city. People love cruises. I mean, there are many Sundays where people get right off their cruise. They come right to church. They've got their luggage downstairs. And I just find it amazing that the first thing they do when they get off a cruise is to come to church. They're probably thankful they're alive. But they come here and they love it. Now, people love cruises. They're obsessed. They get like their cruise friends. They go all over the world. I personally am not, just, just to let you know, I'm not a cruise guy, okay? I don't do cruises. It's not my cup of tea. I was at dinner with friends last night, and, and they're cruise people. And they go, John, how could you say that you don't like cruises? You've literally never been on a cruise in your life. How do you say that? It's not a problem, right? I have no problem making, you know, sweeping generalizations about things that I've never done before. Not, I've been doing it since I was a kid. I'll do it until the day that I die. My wife and I are going on a trip to Italy this summer, and I said to her just yesterday, Milan. It's going to be the worst part of our vacation. She goes, how do you even know that? You've never been. I go, trust me. I just know it. It's just how it is, okay? But Adam, the guy who spoke last week, he's a cruise guy. He loves them. At Disney and cruises, that is his life. And back in February, I think it was February, he was on a cruise literally every single week for a month. Now, in fairness, he's a travel agent. That's his full-time job. But towards the end of the month, I grabbed him. I said, I got to ask you a question aren't you bored of just like going on a cruise every single week and just kind of looking at the open ocean? Like, like, aren't you bored with that? He goes, no, no, no. John, 
you have no idea what you're missing. I said, really? I said, all right, you're a travel agent. Sell me on a cruise. Like, what, what am I missing out that I just have to do? He goes, this is easy. He goes, every time I get, he goes, first of all, when you go on a cruise, you have to understand that the people that work on that ship, their job is to create activities for you to do while you're there. And I go, kind of like adult camp? Yes, like adult camp. And he goes, every single cruise that I'm on, there's one class that I take that I never miss. And if I don't take this class, the cruise just isn't the same. I said, well, what is about it? He goes, I never miss the napkin folding class. I go, I go the what? He goes, yeah, we go. And they teach us how to fold napkins. And I'm looking at it. I go, well, what shape is that, Adam? <laughs> and he goes, it's a candle. I go, are you sure? Okay. So he goes, he, whether you're having a rip-roaring time folding napkins at sea or dodging norovirus at every turn, okay, the one thing that is really keeping me from saying yes to a cruise is, is the potential that I might get motion sickness. Now, you might ask again, John, do you have a history of getting motion sickness? Never in my life, but it might happen, okay? And the reason it scares me is because my buddy who goes to this church went on two cruises this year. And in both cruises, he got motion sickness. And here's the other thing. He didn't get it while he was on the boat. He had a great time on the boat. Once he was done with the cruise and he was back home, it nailed him. For two full weeks, he was walking around like this, okay? He had no stability. He had no balance. The man could barely work. He couldn't lift weights. He had a hard time sleeping. And I go, you paid for this? Okay, this is what you get. And you know, once you get into that state of motion sickness, it's hard to get out of. Like, they'll give you medication, and they'll give you these moves that you can kind of do. But once you're in it, you're just in it. And you are just dying to be the person you used to be. Isn't that the case, like, kind of when you're, you have a cold and you can't breathe and you realize how much you took breathing for granted? You, you forget, that, like, how nice it would be to be stable in life and not so dizzy. And I was thinking about motion sickness and, and in terms of this series, and it, it dawned on me that change in our lives can affect us similarly. In fact, the stress of change can cause us to lose our balance, if you think about it, when you enter into some new seasons in your life, when you kind of get into that, that new next, and maybe it's a, a new job or a, or a new city, you kind of feel off your game a little bit sometimes. You sort of forget the old you, and, and you're, just, you're, just, you're just a little off balance. And it's kind of like when you're a freshman at college. Maybe you can remember back that far for some of you. And you show up day one, and maybe you're in your new state, and all your high school friends are gone, and your parents aren't there anymore, and you are by yourself, and you just feel like out of it. And you're just trying to figure out who you are in this new environment. Or maybe you get a new job and you show up at day one and it feels like every single person knows exactly what you're doing, but you have no clue what you're doing. And you start questioning yourself and you're going, can I do this? Was this a bad decision? I don't even know who I am anymore. You start making bad jokes in the lunchroom and you just, the thing is, in the midst of change, we, we feel very unstable. We can feel dizzy, and, and, and we lack control in our lives and sort of grasping for it. And the thing with motion sickness is the same thing with, with this change in our life is that you need a couple of things. Number one, you need something that you can focus on. So if you are on a cruise ship or you're on a boat and you start to feel queasy in something, common advice is you got to focus on something out in the horizon. You got to look at maybe if you can see the shore, you got a building in your sight, maybe it's a star or whatever, but if you focus on this thing, it will bring stability back into your stomach. Ice skaters, when they do their spins, if you notice, they will focus on something on the wall that prevents them from getting uh, out of control. 
Or if you're a farmer, if you ever wondered, you're not farmers, but if you've ever seen a farmer and wonder how they get, I don't think there's farmers here unless you're from Davy. Uh, you want to wonder how they get those straight lines. What they do is they focus on something out in the, in the horizon and they drive towards it. Because this idea of fixing your focus on a point brings stability. Additionally, you need something to hold on to. If you've ever been on like a New York subway, so I'm, up, I'm from up there, and you go on a, a subway, and if you don't get a seat on a subway, which by the way, whoever gets a seat in a subway other than crazy people, so you, generally speaking, you have to stand on a subway, and it's very hard to keep your balance. And so what they do is they give you a pole to hold on to. Now let's talk about that pole for a second. Unless you're a psychopath and looking to get a rare disease, you should never touch that pole with your bare hands, all right? I have friends who grab it with their bare hands, and I look at them and I go, Nice knowing you, okay? That's the end. That's, this is where it ends for you, okay? Now, when I go on a subway, I kind of do it the loose arm length so that, like, it barely touches your skin so that you know you'll live another day. But I was trying to figure out what is the best sort of image of stability for us, particularly since we're kind of talking about cruises today. For me, I think it's an anchor. So when you think about an anchor in a boat, it does a couple of things. An anchor prevents a boat from drifting too far from its intended location. You're only going to spin around that point just a little bit. You're never going to get too far. Additionally, an anchor protects a boat during bad weather. I think with an anchor, is like there are different kinds of anchors. I don't know if you're boaters in the room, but depending on the bottom, you might get an anchor for rocks or muddy bottoms or sandy bottoms. Or if you're out of the open sea and you can't reach the bottom, they'll give you an open sea anchor that just slows you down. But the interesting thing about an anchor and how it works, it's not so much about whether you can hold on to it, but whether that anchor has the ability to hold on to you. So this week I was thinking and asked myself the question, and I'll pose it to you. What would it look like for us to have an anchor during our seasons of change? A lot of us are sort of going through those seasons of change. It might be a loss of a job. It might be the end of a marriage. Uh, it could be a bad diagnosis that you just received from a doctor. And I don't know what that diagnosis is, but that's never a fun thing to hear. At some point in our life, I can promise you this, you will have storms that enter into your life. And when life has you turned upside down, when life has you questioning what is happening, where are you going to turn? And so what I want to do today is begin to show you the type of anchor that's available to you in those circumstances. To do that, we're going to look at the book of Hebrews. Now, this book is interesting because it's a great book, but it's actually one of the more complicated books that is in the New Testament. If you say that Revelations, the last book in the Bible, is perhaps almost impossible to understand sometimes, this book is a close second. It's a difficult one to understand. And the other interesting thing about this book is that we don't know who wrote it. Some theologians think that Paul wrote it, and that would make sense because he wrote over half the New Testament. And a lot of the stuff that he talks about in this book lines up with his theology. I'm in the school of thought that believes a guy named Apollos wrote it. And the reason I think that is that Apollos would have been um, educated with Greek philosophy. And you see a lot of Greek philosophy in Hebrews. But none of this matters. The reason we're talking about Hebrews is because of who the author is writing to, who the audience is. You see, the audience in Hebrews are individuals who have just gone through a massive change in their life. They are all in this brand new season. See, this audience that he's writing to used to be Jewish, and now they're Christians. 
And because of this decision to become Christians, because they've now entered into this new season of life, they are being hit with massive, massive storms, particularly in the form of persecution. For the first time in their life, these people are being persecuted, and it's getting so bad that they're questioning their faith, they're questioning God, and they're actually thinking about leaving Christianity altogether. And so in the midst of this storm, this author is writing them a letter, and he's trying to do something. He's trying to give them hope. Now, we think of hope, particularly when we're kind of going through hard times, we kind of think of hope as like optimism. We kind of look at ourselves and go, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. Not going to be a problem at all. That's optimism. Hope is not optimism. Because hope recognizes that, you know what, sometimes things aren't going to be okay, but it's going to be just fine either way. And the scripture talks about hope, but it doesn't talk about optimism. Scripture actually talks about this thing called certain hope. And this certain hope is almost like something that we can have this confidence in. It's like a type of confidence. And the, realize it, the, re, the reason, pardon me, we can have confidence in this certain hope is that it's founded in God's promises. And this is where the author of Hebrews wants to land today. He wants to land on the certainty of this hope because when you are going through storms in life, when you don't know which way is up, he's saying if you want to make it through the other side, if you want to get to the finish line, you need to find your hope in the promises of God. And so for this particular instance, he's looking at a primarily Jewish audience and he goes, let me start at the beginning to talk to you about the promises that are available to you. So he says this, God made a promise to Abraham. Now, if you don't know who Abraham is, Abraham is the founder, so to speak, of the Jewish faith. God made a promise to Abraham. And as there's no one greater than God, he used himself when he swore to Abraham, saying, I swear by my own name that I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. Let me explain to you what this promise is if you're unfamiliar with it. This is one of the most famous promises ever given to the Jewish people. Many, many thousands of years ago, thousands of years before Jesus, God made a promise to this guy Abraham. And he says, you are going to have a son. This is even though Abraham is like 90 years old at this point. You're going to have a child. In fact, you are going to have so many descendants that it's going to fill the world like all the sand on the beaches. And through your descendants, the world will be blessed. And when he finished this promise, he goes, I swear to God that this is going to happen. I swear to myself that this will take place. And it did. Abraham had that child. Abraham had so many descendants. And in fact, those descendants are the very audience to whom the author was writing. That's the Jewish people. And the world will be blessed through the Jewish people, through the life and death of Jesus Christ. So then he takes this idea of oaths and swears, and he kind of brings it into the, the human realm for us to understand. And he goes, think about it like this. People always use the name of someone greater than themselves when they swear. The oath proves that what they say is true, and this ends all arguing. So what he's getting at here is this idea that people, unfortunately, lie. And you can't really trust people too frequently. And so when we need someone to trust us, we swear to something greater than ourselves. So think about when you go to court and you have to testify, you put your hand on the Bible, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, told me God, that kind of a thing. 
or like when you're in sixth grade and you're trying to make your buddies believe something. I swear to God, this really happened, all right? This is what he's talking about here. When we want people to believe us, we swear to God. And so he continues and he goes, and so God made this promise. And he wanted to show Abraham that he would never change his mind, that this would in fact happen. So he made the promise in his own name. He swore to God so that humans could have confidence in the promises that God made. Now here's the interesting thing about God. And here's the awesome part about this whole thing that this author is trying to teach us. He says this, now, there are two things in this world that are unchangeable. One is that God cannot lie when he makes a promise. And two, he cannot lie when he makes an oath. The scripture is very clear. God cannot lie. There cannot be sin inside God. And what this author is trying to say is going, I want to make sure that you understand the God that we're talking about here. Because unlike humans, God has to keep his promises. That God's very nature precludes him from doing otherwise. He can't break his promise. So he continues on and he says, we, speaking to Christians, who have turned to him can have great comfort knowing that he will do what he has promised. So he's looking at this audience and perhaps he's looking at you today and he goes, look, I understand that you may have entered into a season of your life that is pretty dark and that it's filled with storms and that life has just basically got you turned upside down and you have no idea what is going on at all. God promised to be with you. He, he promised to be with you in all things and through all things. And then he gives us an amazing piece of wisdom. He says this, this hope that we have is a safe anchor for our souls and it will never move. And even though the storms are crashing all around you, even though you don't know which way is up, even though your emotions might be telling you that you're in danger, even though your emotions might be telling you that God is nowhere to be found, this author is saying that that hope that we have is not based on our emotions, but on what God has spoken. That matter, no matter what life is thrown at you, no matter what is going on, you can have peace in the midst of those storms because of God's promises. So there's an important question that we have to ask if all of this is true. And it's this, where is your hope anchored to? Now, I think a lot of us in the room who might be Christians would say, well, it's anchored to Jesus and God. And I, I hope that's the case, but right now, let's just not be so quick to sort of give the expected boilerplate Christian response. Because at some point, we are going to enter into a storm, and we want to make sure that we really honestly and truly have the proper anchor. Because I think if we're honest, I think a lot of us have some other anchors in our life. I think for some of us, an anchor might be money. We love it. Can't get enough of it. And we look at our bank account, we look at our 401ks, we look at our stock portfolio, and we just think, this is what's going to keep us safe. This is my safety net in life. This is going to keep me safe for my whole life. Really? Are you, you really want to put that much you know, support on the stock market? Maybe your anchor is your health. Maybe you're somebody who, who is enslaved 
to the preservation of life, to the preservation of beauty. This is what's going to keep you going for your whole life. I mean, is your, is your health really strong enough to be an anchor? Maybe your anchor is relationships or, or, or a job. Whatever your anchor might be, whatever you are holding on to for stability in this life, you got to ask, is your anchor strong enough to hold you? Because that's the most important part of an anchor. Can it actually hold you? Can the things that you are using right now in your life to anchor you, can they withstand the storms of life? Probably not. I mean, honestly, it's probably not. That's why the author of Hebrews says that we need to anchor to the promises of God. Now, just like he did so many years ago, trying to explain to them what some of the promises of God are, I want to do the same to you today. Now, God gave about 7,000 promises throughout the entire Bible. And I want to go through each of those today with you, okay? No, I'm kidding. I want to do about three or four. That's all we have time for. But if you find yourself in a storm today, okay, if, if you don't have any clue what's going on, I want to show you the type of anchor that's available to you today. See, you need to anchor, firstly, to the promise of God's presence. When you anchor yourself to God, you can have the assurance of knowing that you will never be alone. Now, some of you right now may feel alone. You may have entered a season in your life where perhaps you feel abandoned by friends or family. Maybe you've actually been abandoned by friends or family. Maybe you feel geographically alone because you've moved to Florida for either a job or personal reasons, and you may not have a friend in the world right now. That's why you need to anchor yourself to a God who says that he will never leave us and he'll never desert you. And when times are good and you're in that exciting season in your life, we don't think about this promise. But when times get dark and the storms roll in, this is an anchor you need. Secondly, you need to anchor to the promise of God's plan. There is going to be a time in each and every single one of our lives when we get confused about what's happening when we don't understand what's happening, and we have no clue about what's next. That's when you have to remember that God has a plan, not only for the world, but for you specifically. That's why I think you got to anchor to a God who has every aspect of this world under control. Romans says this to us. We know, we know that God makes all things. That means everything work together for the good of those who love him and are chosen to be a part of his plan. This is, for me, one of the greatest promises that exists in the scripture. I mean, this is saying that once you say yes to Jesus, once you cross that line of faith for the first time in your life, you have the assurance to know that whatever happens, good, bad, or indifferent, God is working it all together for your good and his glory. Whatever's happening in your life, he will never waste a season. This week at DHC Nights, we were talking about the fact that one of our friends lost their job. Didn't really know when the next one was coming. But he had the confidence to know that God was not even going to waste this time in his life. That God was using this to speak into his life in a powerful way. That God was using this painful time to reach other people and build the kingdom. God will never waste any season of the life that you are currently going into. Because he's a plan for your life. I want to further prove that God has your best interests in mind. I say it like this. I think you need to anchor 
to God's promise of his prayers. Let me explain to you what this means. You might right now be actively praying for a transition in your life. You might be praying to God for a new season to come your way. You may be asking God, God, I would love a spouse. Can you bring me a relationship? God, I would really love a new job. I would really love to move to a new city. And you keep praying this prayer, and yet it seems like God is not answering it. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you get to a point where you start getting frustrated, and you go, God, why aren't you listening? I've been there. I'll just posit this. What if, what if God hasn't forgotten you? He is just protecting you. Can we get this slide up for them? What if he hasn't forgotten you? He's just protecting you. I mean, what if behind the scenes, God hears your prayers and he says, not now, no, not now, or not this. I know you want this. I know this is what you think you need, but I'm telling you, this is not what's best for you. This is why you have to anchor yourself to a God who wants what's best for you. Check this out in Romans. It says this. This is amazing. This is Paul speaking. He goes, we do not know how to pray. Or what we should pray for. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't, we don't know what to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays to God for us with sounds that can't be put into words. God knows the hearts of men. He knows what the Holy Spirit is thinking. It goes on. Next slide. The Holy Spirit prays for those who belong to Christ the way God wants him to pray. Do you understand what this slide is saying here? I mean, do you understand the implications of what this verse is saying? This is letting us know that the creator of the universe loves you so much that he is not going to let you get in the way of the good that he's got planned for you. That you may be praying all these things, but he's saying, I understand what you think you need, but I have put my spirit inside of you. And my spirit is actively praying on your behalf for what is good for you. And I just think that is absolutely incredible that God is praying for us day and night. I think part of the reason that we get so thrown off balance when we enter into a season of change, or being honest, I think it's because we've misunderstood God's promises. And when I wrote this slide, I was thinking about using the word misled. Either we've been misled about God's promises or we've misled ourselves. But often we put promises into God's mouth that he never made. And when God fails to fulfill these promises that we think he made, we get angry, we get upset, we get tripped up, and we get off balance. So let me just set the record straight for us here today for all of us. God never promised wealth or health or an easy life. And yet we think he did. And unfortunately, there are many Christian leaders who promote this idea of health and wealth. And that's just not the case. Jesus never promised us a perfect life. In fact, he said that in this world, you will have trouble and you will have sorrows. But Jesus did make us an incredible promise. That no matter what is happening here and now, that no matter how dark it gets, even if it means the end, we know that when your hope is anchored to God, you can be confident that this is not the end. 
that whatever you're going through, this is not the end. This promise is perhaps one of the greatest promises of all. It's that God imparts on you what I'll call an eternal perspective. That he allows you to see beyond the here and now. And it transforms how you see every season in your life. Paul talks about this. He says it like this. When you get this eternal perspective, he goes, the little troubles, I love how he calls it that, the little troubles we suffer now for a short time are making us ready for the great things God is going to give us forever. When you live your life with that eternal perspective, your problems, your fears, your worries, the diagnoses, the loss of employment, the loss of a relationship, they begin to shrink. And the scripture gives us a glimpse of this forever that Paul is talking about. This this new heaven and the new earth, this final promise that God gives to every single one of his children. Book of Revelations talks about this final promise. says this, God himself one day will be with them. That's us. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. I would just challenge you today, folks, to begin to put your trust in God. Every other anchor that we try to use is temporary. It's all shifting sand. That's why Jesus came. That's why the scripture says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The promises never change, and you can anchor yourself to that. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen. So we want to make sure that you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you heard. And this week I just want to give you a question to think about, to challenge you with, and it's this. What's your anchor? Particularly for the Christians in the room, is it God? I mean, has this conversation today revealed to you that perhaps maybe, just maybe, you've been leaning on a different anchor in your life? And maybe that's why things just seem extra rocky. And if God has not been your anchor, I've got a follow-up question for you. What's preventing you from fully trusting him? Maybe it's just a lack of understanding. Maybe you just didn't know all the promises that he's given us. Or maybe you've been misled about some of those promises. Maybe you've been waiting for him to deliver on some things that he never said that he would be delivering on. So I don't know what's happening in your life right now. I don't know what storms you're going through, but I guarantee you some of you are going through them. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, I want to wrap up by just reading a a portion of it to you. And as I get older, I I begin to love this piece of scripture more and more. And my hope today is that this will show you that you have a God that loves you, that knows every season of your life, that knows everything that's going on, and that you can lean on him for stability. It's found in Psalm 139. It says this, O Lord, you've examined my heart 
and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away, continues. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord, continues. You go before me and you follow me. And I love that part the most. God's saying, I'm in the future, already there waiting for you to get there. But at the same time, I am following behind you. I am keeping you safe, which means that I am always with you. He says, you place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They can't be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. I mean, what a blessing it is to have these promises. To know that the creator of the universe is in your corner, watching out for you, has a plan for your life. Even when it looks like a very dark storm, he is in control. Lean on him. Tie up to that anchor. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come here today. Lord, I want to thank you for the promises that you've given us that can be found so easily in your word. But Lord, one of the unfortunate promises you gave us is that in this world we will have trouble. In this world we will have sorrow. In this world, Lord, we will enter into times that are stormy and scary and we don't understand what's going on. And Lord, if there's someone in this room right now who has entered into that season, I pray, Lord, that they reach out their hand today and grab hold of you. Lord, that they would know that even though they don't understand what's going on, you've known about it since before they were even born. And this is not a problem for you. Lord, that they could have the confidence to know that whatever is happening, you will work it together for their good. Lord, I pray that you would bestow upon each and every single one of us an eternal perspective today. Lord, that even our greatest problems would begin to shrink knowing that you are in control, that you have a plan for this world and our life, and that one day there'll be no more death, no more pain, no more tears, and no more fear. Help us, Lord, today feel just a fraction of that blessing. And we ask all of this in your son's name. Amen.